fully engaged with the assignment, with the purpose, uh, with the appointment, the assignment that's on our life. Remember, we talked about disappointment being that thing that literally disconnects us from our appointment. And uh, one of the things the Lord just dropped in my mind is the fact that for, for many of us, we live discouraged, a lack of courage, separated from courage because of comparison. Um, how many of you are, are kind of fully into social media, be that Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat? We, yeah, <laughs> a few of you. Here's the thing. I've realized in my own life that Snapchat and Instagram, Instagram especially, not even on Snapchat, I don't even know why I said that. Uh, uh, apparently, like, Snapchat has improved itself. Back about five years ago, it was not entirely the best thing for anybody to have Snapchat, but apparently it's, like, legit now. It's okay. Uh, but anyway, Instagram. I realized that uh, a few years ago, Instagram became the source of my greatest discouragement because I would find myself looking through reams and reams of pictures of a life I wished I had. <laughs> I would look at people who are definitely skinnier than me, that definitely were way further on in life than me, that definitely had a better style than me, definitely weren't going gray like me, definitely weren't losing their hair like me, definitely had not more attractive wife because my wife is literally the most attractive thing ever, but you, all of those other things. And I realized that one of the things that we have to deal with these days is the reality of, of a... a of comparison and how actually if we're going to live hope-filled lives for our own life, for our own assignment, for the things that God's asking us to do, we have to be way more intentional to understand that actually that comparison creeps in every single day. And the funny thing about social media, and I wanted to just, uh, you probably know this, but I, the funny thing about social media, it is just the highlight reel of somebody else's life. It's just the highs of, you know, if you go and look at my Instagram, you look at my Twitter feed, like it's just full of highlights. It's full of, it's full of um, when I buy my kids an ice cream and we're sitting uh, in sunshine and we're just enjoying the summer's day and, and, and my kids look smiley and they're licking an ice cream. It, it's those moments that we're snapping. I'm not taking pictures or vines or little videos when I'm kicking my children up the stairs because they're doing my head in. Like, that's not what we put. I don't kick my children. That's for the dog. Um, you know, we put the highlight reel. You know, I don't, I don't take a picture. You know, I, I lead a church, and I travel quite a bit and speak, and, um, and I don't take pictures of, like, empty rooms. Hey... No one showed up to my meeting. Like, I'm not, taking, I'm not taking that picture. I'm taking a picture when, like, there's a bunch of people and I feel good about myself. Like, what you see on my social media is just the highlights. In fact, we all know that we try to find angles, certain angles that make us a little skinnier. Make sure it's not, like, which side is my good side? Make sure that it's a photo. What's the right thing? Is, it, is Instagram photos, like, is it low or is it high? Which one's the best way? Hi, okay. See, we all know. We all know we do it. Half the face, low light, all these things. We're like, I've got to try and portray the very best of me. But the reality is, is we begin to just feed on other people's highlights reel. We find ourselves continually comparing. Oh, I haven't got that. Oh, oh that's, that's, that's not what my life looks like. And all of a sudden, whether we say it out loud or it just becomes an internal dialogue, 
we find ourselves comparing ourselves and we find ourselves discouraged in life. And I feel like any time that, that we are discouraged, any time there's not things that are adding courage and adding courage and hope to our lives, we've got to be aware of when those things happen. So I just encourage you that um, however you choose to do it, um, just be aware of this issue of comparison. I feel like if we're going to live um, fully engaged with hope, we have to realize that one of the stumbling blocks, one of the pitfalls is going to be us comparing our life. Because there's only one person that can be you. There's only one person that has your assignment, what God's created and purposed for you to do. There's only one person in the whole entire planet that can live out your life, and that is you. And so the process of comparison um, is going to always undermine you living in hope, living in a sense of purpose around who God's created you to be and what he's created you to do. So I just felt like I'd throw that in there, um, and uh, you can definitely have that one for free. Very good. So um, remember, we're in this story uh, of Israel. We know that they have sent out spies into the land. We know that they've responded to the fact that they got back some good news, that this was, in fact, the land flowing with milk and honey. They saw the fruit. We also know that they got the report that there was giants in the land. And we've already looked today at, um, at the challenge for us to move um, away from the whys, the things that hold us in disappointment, circling around the question of why, so that we can be people that move into the what's next. We've looked at how it's really important to understand the season that we're in, that actually there's a way in which when we look at our future with hope and in connection to a to a God who we can trust, we can begin to see things that we think were preventing us actually as things that are preparing us. And I want to look um, at two final things um, before we wrap up um, this afternoon. And it, it really, again, still springboards off this story. And uh, I want to talk to you about the fact that promises in our relationship with God, promises, both the generic promises of God that we find over the overarching story of the Bible, but also specific promises uh, that we discover as we begin to discover what God's put us on the planet for. Both the generic and the specific promises, they have a purpose. The promises over your life, they have a purpose. And what they are is they are an invitation into your future. And that's why I love promises in this whole um, thing of hope. Because, because in the midst of difficulty, in the midst of just tracking through life, we can come back around, we can circle back around to promises that stand over our life, that sit on our life, and they can remind of us of who God is and who he's created us to be. And in the midst of discovering and reminding ourselves of God's promises, we can live hope-filled lives because those promises they begin to shape what our future looks like. And we're no longer tripped up by disappointment, but we say, I trust God because he's faithful. I can look at my future with hope because I trust in God. It may well be my phone. Is that my phone? There you go. Um, we can trust in God because there are promises over our life and we can look at our future with hope. And... Um, and there was that moment with Israel, remember, where they got those two reports. 
And they chose to look away from the fruit that was the, was the indication that this was their promise, that their promise was literally in hand. They chose at that point to look away from the report of the fruit. And they chose to remain disappointed and wander in the wilderness. See, the reality was, is that when that fruit returned and it was showed to the whole of Israel, what that fruit was supposed to be, it was supposed to be an indication to the promise of, that God had already placed over the nation of Israel. God had promised, and you find it numerous times in the Old Testament, that God would provide a land for the people of Israel. And that that land would be an incredible land. It would be a land flowing with milk and honey. The promise over the nation of Israel is that God was going to provide for them. And this was, the, this was the covenant relationship with God. This was what covenant was based around. It was based around a set of promises where the people of Israel said, we will be we will be your people. You will be our God. And in journeying with you, God's promise with them is that he would never leave them and never forsake them. And in the midst of that promise as well, he promised to protect them. He promised to give them a, a land. And this, as Israel was right on the doorstep of this promised land, this was what they saw in this fruit that they literally had in their hands, but they chose to ignore it. The invitation actually was, that fruit that they saw in their hand was a, was a moment when they, they should, have, should have aligned themselves with the promise that was over them. To say, you know what, this, this fruit, it's actually a sign of a promise that's over our nation. This fruit is, is, is a signal to the promise that God has made over us. And it should have been the invitation for them to go and, and inherit the land that that fruit grew from. That was what that fruit was for. It was to tell them that there's an invitation for you to go and inherit this land because it's your land. And in fact, more than just tasting fruit in a moment, you can actually go and live on the, the reality of that fruit. You can go and live from the place where that fruit grows. That was their invitation at that moment when they got that report. But invitations are really important. We have to understand that as we walk with God, both both in the generic promises of God, but the specific promises for you, which each one of you have, have got. And if you, don't, if you haven't heard the specific promises that are over your life, I would encourage you to ask God to show you what it is that he's promising over your life. And we'll do a little bit of that later. But anyway, invitations, promises are invitations. They're an invitations for us to, to move forward with confidence, with hope. Because when you have a promise over your life, and you have a promise from somebody who is trustworthy, it actually becomes an invitation for you to expect certain, certain things, to have anticipation on certain things. I remember when I was, um, I must have been 11 years old, my, uh, my, my best friend at school was a guy called David Bond, coolest name in, on the planet, David Bond. And um, how many of you, when you were growing up in school, uh, you would get invited to you get invited to parties, kids' parties. I don't know what happens these days, but this is what happened in my school. Growing up in primary school, what would happen is you would get word around sort of first break time that somebody was gonna somebody's got a party coming up on the weekend or in a couple of weeks' time. Oh, I think I think Billy's having a party. And what you'd be waiting for is the end of the day, you would go to your tray, you'd open up that tray, and at some point Billy would have slid a an invite into you and you would get that invite and you'd pull it out and you'd be like, yes, I'm invited to Billy's party. This is amazing. 
And then there would be other kids that didn't get it and that would be traumatic. And we can pray for you if that happened. <laughs> but I don't know if you still have trays these days in school, but the reality is, is that I remember those days just waiting, hearing that there was, there was word of a party. There was word that somebody was having a party and how you'd be hoping that you'd open up your tray and there would be the invite. Anyway, one day uh, we went into school and I'd, I'd heard David, David was, my, was, my, uh, was my best friend. He said, oh, I've got a party coming up soon. And uh, I'm going to give out the invites. And I was like, oh, cool. I might come into your party. And he's like, yeah, I'm coming to your party. I'll put the invite in your tray. So I already knew I was going to David Bond's party. But he said, he said oh, it's a pretty special party. And um, there's only going to be six people. Now, some people in, in kind of growing up in school, they would invite their whole class, which is pretty sweet. That's awesome. Just include everyone. Everyone's coming. But then there were occasions when there were specific parties. And it's like, oh, then there's only going to be six people. And um, so this was one of those, only six people. So I was like, oh, man, I'm, that's pretty awesome. I'm going to have, I'm gonna have a, one of the six invites in my tray. And I just remember, I, I remember, and I look back fondly at those moments when you'd open up the tray and there it would be the invite. You'd open it up and you'd, you'd be so excited because you got an invite to the party. Anyway, I, uh, that day opened up um, the, the invitation to David Bond's party and um, on it was a time and a place that we needed to be. And, um, and that was it. It was just come to David's party, an address, and uh, a time, and the date when it was. Anyway, the date arrived, pretty excited. No, no one really, David didn't tell anybody what we were doing anyway. So we, we driving along, and um, my parents were going to go drop me off at the party. And any, anyway, we, we kind of, we drive out of a residential area. So I knew where David Bond lived and I knew that we weren't heading anywhere near where he lived. And we, we drove out of town a little bit. And, um, and all of a sudden I found, I found that um, the address that we were, that my parents were driving to me, driving me to was actually an airfield. So we turned, we turned into this airfield and, um, and all along this airfield, was a rows and rows and rows and rows, literally dozens and dozens of red helicopters. And on the side of them, they said, Bond helicopters. I was like, oh my goodness. My friend David's like, dad must own like a helicopter company or something. And what transpired, he actually owned the largest fleet of helicopters in the whole of Europe. Just never told anybody. This is my best friend, and his dad owned, owned a helicopter company. Anyway, so we, we go in and... Um, it's just like amazing. We find out David's like, all right, so the six of us, there was only six of us because we're going in, we're going in one of the helicopters and we're, the, my party is we're going to go on a trip. This was the greatest experience of my life. I still think, and I can say this because my wife and my children aren't here because obviously my marriage and kids being born, of course, is the greatest day of my life, but because they're not here. This was literally, <laughs> possibly even to today, the greatest day of my life. Greatest day of my life. We are in this helicopter and we are flying. We, we've been flying for around an hour. At that point, we were in Cambridge and we flew out to the coast, flew around the coast. This was just, it was amazing. And what we actually found out, the Bond helicopters, not only were they a helicopter company, they did, they, um, they trained all of the um, stunt helicopter um, pilots um, for all the Bond films. And his name was Bond. His name was legitimately Bond, but um, we actually had a stunt pilot. So we were doing all sorts of crazy things in this helicopter. It was just amazing. You can imagine I'm an 11 year old boy in a helicopter. Just amazing. And then the whole day got better. So we we start heading over, and in the distance we can see um, 
we can see this theme park. We can see these massive rides. And it's a, it's a theme park. Uh, I would be surprised if any of you have ever been. It's called Pleasurewood Hills. Oh, you've, yeah, you've been to Pleasurewood Hills. When I tell this story in other places, it's like, Pleasurewood Hills, that sounds weird. It's not. It's like a, it's like a little theme park um, in the south. Anyway, we're flying towards this thing. And I'm like, oh, wow, we're going to fly over a theme park. And then I realized that all the rides have stopped. And then I realized we're actually getting closer to this theme park and we're slowing down. And then I realized that there are probably a few hundred people gathered in a circle around an area just next to where the theme park was. And then I realized we're literally landing in the middle of a theme park. So there's six 11-year-old boys just having the time of their life. We land in the middle of a theme park. They've closed the rides so that the, so the helicopter can land. And there's this hundreds of people and stu- stood watching us get off the air of this helicopter. And I'm just like, this is amazing. I feel like a rock star getting off this helicopter. Anyway, we get off, spend the day in pleasure in this theme park, come, come back. They stop the rides. We take off again. Greatest day of my life. Literally the greatest day of my life. I'm, uh, it was the greatest day of my life. <laughs> Here's my point. I was excited about getting an invitation. I was always excited about getting invitations. But the reality for me is that if I didn't reply to that invitation by saying, yes, I'm going to come, I would have missed the greatest day of my life. I would have missed it. It never would have happened. And I would be telling, I would be standing up here telling you a story about being really excited about getting invitations. Because the, the, the cool thing about invitations is there's always a next step. There's always a next part to an invitation. It takes something on my part to say yes and say yes with my life somewhat and say, yes, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to go with this invitation. I'm going to say yes to this invitation. But ultimately, the very point of an invitation is not that you get an invitation. It's that you take part in the thing that you've been invited to. Listen, every single one of you has an invitation to your life. Just show up and live it. Like you've got an invitation that actually I believe is marked by promises God has over your life. It's an invitation. Please show up to the invitation of your life. My point is this, uh, you know, is, it's exciting having promises over your life. It's not nearly as incredible as living out and experiencing those promises. You know, hope in the promises that we have that God has placed over our lives is actually the key to the greatest adventure you'll ever have, and that is your life. Like, your life is literally the greatest adventure you could say yes to. You know, I don't want to get to the end of my life and be sitting down with with my grandchildren and telling them about all the things I almost did with my life. I want to be sitting down and I want to be telling them what I did with my life. Because I know that at times in my life, I've heard exciting promises from God over who I am or what he's called me to do. And again, I encourage you, if you don't feel like you have those things, that's something to really dig into God. To go say, God, would you show me what it is you've got promised over my life? Would you show me this great adventure of loving you and serving you and being part of your family? Would you show me what promises are over my life? The promise is the invitation. You know, the fruit that those spies brought back 
was the invitation for Israel to go and inhabit the land where that fruit had been grown from. You know, don't be content with seeing little bits of fruit in your life. Like if you find that there's, there's little bits of fruit that you see in your life, there's little bits of hope that you have in your life. There, there, are, there are promises that you begin to start to see the, the small fruit of in your life. Be committed to not just saying, oh, well, that was a nice experience, but be committed to going and discovering the land where that fruit grows and living in the fullness of the promises that God has over your life. You know, if we live disappointed lives, if disappointment creeps in and we, we're not people that are defined by hope, disappointment will leave us satisfied with just an invitation. That's what disappointment does. It kind of says, well, I'm just going to, if I'm going to live disappointed, I'm just going to take the little bit, of, little bit of joy that might come from an invitation, but that's good enough. But the great adventure of walking with Jesus, the great adventure of discovering the promises that are over your life, are really an invitation into a great adventure with him. So don't give up at the first hurdle. Don't let disappointment hold you back from discovering and taking part in the, the life that you're invited to live. So we've talked already, wise, we move away from into the what's next. We understand the season we're in. Promises have a purpose. They are an invitation. And finally, I want to look at the fact that I want to give you something of a key um, that I think will, will be massively helpful. I've found it hugely helpful in my own life. And that key is this, that praise and thankfulness is the key to crossing over from a barren place to a fruitful place. Isaiah 54 says this. It's a beautiful passage of scripture. It says this, Sing, barren woman, you have never born a child. Burst into song, shout for joy, you who were never in labor. Because more are the children of the desolate woman than of her who has a husband, says the Lord. Enlarge the place of your tent. Stretch your tent curtains wide. Do not hold back. Lengthen your cords. Strengthen your stakes. Yes, it's a beautiful picture of what a what a culture of hope looks like. That even in barrenness, and barrenness literally for, um, for, this, for this, what this verse is talking about, it's a woman who couldn't have a, have a child. And the irony is, is, that, is that what, these, what the Lord's encouraging this to happen here is that that would be joy would come even before she ever sees a child. That even in barrenness, even in there not being fruit, that we can still sing. We can still stir up hope. I like to say it like this, that there can be a song before we ever see the substance of our future. That's what the Lord was saying here. That, that put joy on your lips. Put a song on your lips. Be thankful. Even before you ever see the substance of the promises and the hope that you hold on to. It's a beautiful picture of hope. Listen, we have such a performance mentality in the way that we think. We, it's ingrained in our thinking. And basically we think, and this is how I, you know, if we were writing those verses, it would be different. We think that when good things happen to us, then we praise. Then we're thankful. Like, that's the way we think, right? Like, good stuff lands in my life. Things go well, 
And I thank God. I, I give praise for the things that have already happened to me. That's how we kind of operate, right? It's a performance mentality. But in God's economy, it's completely different. Let me remind you of a story, it's a familiar story. It's when Jesus fed the 5,000. And then um, the story looks uh, and it tells us that, um, that Jesus brought this boy forward. In fact, the disciples brought this boy forward to Jesus and he had five small loaves and two small fishes. Now, I actually love that description because there's 5,000 people. In fact, there's 5,000 men, which probably means there's another 5,000 women and children. So there's in excess of 10,000 people in front of him. And Jesus describes what this boy has as uh, five small loaves and two fishes, which is funny because the size of five loaves and two fishes is really immaterial, but they're small. So we, we understand the parameters that, that of what's about to happen. We've got, we've got barely anything. So there's in excess of 10,000 people, five small loaves, two small fish. And what happens? Jesus takes what he has, even though it was small. And what does he do? He gives thanks. There's this beautiful moment where I actually believe the, the miraculous of, of what then went on to happen in that over 10,000 people were fed fully and that there was more left over. That miracle didn't, it didn't, didn't happen. Um, it, it happened in an atmosphere of thankfulness. You know, thankfulness wasn't we got to the end of dishing out all the food and the baskets and they thanked God. There was a moment right at the beginning where Jesus thanked. And it was thankfulness that I believe created that atmosphere for that miraculous and for hope to be there for 10,000 people to be fed on barely anything. You know, thankfulness, praise. It's actually the landscape of our hearts and our lives that can create hope in a season of plenty or a season of lack. And this is the reality for all of us. You know, when we signed up to walk with Jesus, when we said yes to everything Jesus did on the cross, when we were flung into fresh new relationship with Father God, when he adopted us as sons and daughters, we didn't say yes to a, to a, to a life of easy living. We didn't say yes to now all of our troubles are gone. We didn't say yes to, I'm going to have everything I ever need and want. We said yes to being able to walk with a God who loves us. And so we get the opportunity both in lack and in plenty when we have everything or we would look at our lives and go, I have nothing. Maybe you would look at your life and go, I feel like I've got five small loaves and two small fishes. That would be the sum total of my life. It doesn't matter because we always have something to be thankful for. Let me just encourage you. Like if you are struggling to think of ways in which you can be thankful, go back to the cross. You will always have something to be thankful for when you find your way back to the cross. Because Jesus took your life. He took your life and he, he made you in right relationship with Father God. You were gifted eternal life. You were given grace. You were given mercy. Like the beautiful transfer of joy for the ashes of our life. 
Like we've always got something to be thankful for. Listen, if we, if we keep ourselves in, in disappointment, if we, um, if we keep ourselves locked around this question of why it can never move on to what's next, then we'll miss out on a whole adventure with God whereby we get to be thankful, like outrageously thankful before we have any substance. That's why I love that passage in, a, in uh, Isaiah. In fact, the Lord's instruction is really quite crazy. He, he tells this lady who has no child to enlarge the place of her tent. That's almost, almost back to front, isn't it? It's like, what do, what do we do when, when, when we have a child? It's only when you get pregnant that you start to think about, I need to paint that room or I'm going to need to go buy a crib. I'm going to need to do certain things to make room for this child that's coming. But the Lord's, again, it's just back to front. He says, even before there's any sight of a child, be joyful, be thankful. And in the midst of that, get ready for what's coming. Enlarge the place of your tent. It doesn't make sense, but I would encourage you, create space and room in your life for the promises that God has over your life. Don't live disappointed because things haven't quite worked out as you planned. Just believe and trust and create space in your life and fill it with thankfulness. Fill it with a song. Let the song of joy, let the song of thankfulness come before there's any substance to the promise. And let me tell you, you'll live a great adventure of dependence and reliance and leaning into a father who loves you incredibly. We're going to worship in just a second, but I want to, uh, I want to, I want to pray for you. You know, we get the opportunity. I think even just this weekend to, to, to lay a foundation of hope. You know, we get to in this weekend be able to say, you know what, there are things that I was hung up on, big why questions that I was hung up on. Do you know what? I'm going to leave this place. Today or tomorrow, whenever you leave, I'm going to leave this place different than the way I came. You're going to leave here with a, with, a, with a lens of hope that lets you look at situations in your life and you can say, just like Israel didn't, you can say, those giants in the land, they're just preparing me. The things that I thought were preventing me, they're preparing me. You're going to be, you're going to be people that walk out of here and you're going to know that season that you're in. You're going to be able to hear the voice of God so clearly. You're going to know that there are promises over your life. That you can lean into who God is and what he said about himself. Listen, there are promises in scripture you can literally build your life on. I love reminding myself that every Sunday morning when we get together and we do church, the Bible tells me that where two or more people are gathered in his name, that he promises to be there. Like that's literally a promise that I can build my life on. So if literally two people show up to church, I'm good with that. I'm good with that because it's, I, I, it's a promise. Listen, here's another promise. The, these are just general promises. The Bible full of them. I don't have time. You could, I would encourage you, dive into God's word and find the promises that he's made over you. It's, the Bible tells me that when I draw near to him, he draws near to me. 
Like that's a promise. He doesn't go back on that. He doesn't say, well, I meant that for a season, but that's not really for now. So every moment when you know you need to lean into God, you say, God, I, I'm going to draw close to you. I'm going to get away. I'm going to, put my, I'm going to lock myself in my room. I'm going to get some time in your presence. I'm going to draw near to you. And he says, well, hold me at my word. Because I said, when you draw near to me, I'll draw near to you. There are promises all the way through Scripture that you can literally build your life upon. And finally, I, I encourage you. And I already know this of, of your community and um, that there is a heart for worship and thankfulness and praise that is worth nurturing. It's worth filling that void between where you are and, and the hope that you have. It's worth filling that bo- void with thankfulness. Just create space to be thankful for all that God has done and all that he's preparing you for. And never give up on that. Even in those times when you think, my life, it feels like it's barren, like there's not a lot of stuff growing. When you feel like there's not a lot of stuff growing in your life, go back to being thankful. Go back to the things that you know you can be thankful for. And I believe that God will continually allow you to walk in hope that you will nurture and contend for a life fully engaged with the hope and purposes and plans that God has for you. Amen? Why don't you stand? I'm going to pray for you.